Welcome to another episode of Unearthing Paranormalcy, the podcast where we dig into the paranormal and try to find normalcy in the topic. I'm Amy. I'm Dave. I'm Chad. And I'm Eli. And this week, we're coming at you with something a little different, something we don't usually cover. Um, It's going to be a little bit darker of an episode, but we're coming at you with some true crime. And we're going to be covering murders that happened on Halloween. (laughs) That kind of goes with one of mine. (laughs) Uh, Dave, why don't you go ahead and get us started? We've all heard the myths and the legends associated with Halloween. From poison candy to satanic cults sacrificing children. There is also a myth that a spike in crime happens on Halloween. Technically, that's true. If you factor in pranks, assault, and alcohol-related crimes. It should be noted, however, that the number of people charged with these offenses may also correlate with the increased police presence on patrol during the holiday, as well as the increased DUI checkpoints. Now, some criminals do take advantage of being able to rob or mug people under the concealment of a mask and not stand out while fleeing the scene. Perhaps a reason for this crime spike myth lies within the spin of the media as they grab onto isolated incidents and pair their headlines tied to quote-unquote devil's night in order to shock viewers and play upon their curiosity and fear. Crimes do seem more alarming when committed on a holiday, and thus do get more airtime. But when compared to other days of the year, murder rates are actually down on October 31st. So we dug into several that happened on Halloween. Some of the suspects used the holiday as the opportunity or motive for the crime, but most crimes could have happened on any other day. We chose them based upon the details and the validity of them actually occurring. As you can imagine, there were several to sift through, which are more fitting for a Scary Stories episode than a true crime episode. I found only one real incident of a murder that might be tied to a satanic cult. We also talked in a previous episode about Ronald Clark O'Brien, who poisoned his own children with Halloween candy to collect life insurance policies. So join us as we dig into Halloween murders, or turn back if true crime is not your thing. One hell of an intro, mate. Now see, I remember when we were kids, we were not allowed to play outside on Halloween because this is also during the satanic panic of the nineties, but because satanic cults were such a good band name. (laughs) We're coming in and (laughs) abducting children for sacrifice. And we also had a black cat that we had to keep inside at Halloween. Now black cats do tend to get abused a little bit more, but it's not satanic cult. It's more mischievous teenagers teenagers being assholes. Um, And I know some of the shelters will refuse to adopt out black cats on and around Halloween because they don't know for sure where their cats are going. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I want a black kitty, but I don't have a black kitty. I have a ginger kitty who's an asshole. Because he's a ginger. (laughs) We're all assholes. (laughs) So let's go ahead and start out our true crime adventure with Chad. Late on Halloween night, 2004, roommates Leslie Mazara, Adrian Insagna, and Lauren Minza went to bed after handing out Halloween candy. 
Minza was woken up at 1 a.m. by the sounds of scuffling above her. Not knowing what was happening, she ran in terror from the house and hid in the backyard, watching an assailant climb out of the window. When the coast was clear, she ran back upstairs to find both her roommates dead. Throughout the investigation, FBI agents found cigarette butts near the scene of the crime that matched blood evidence inside the house, but found no matches in the DNA database. Officers and FBI agents spoke to nearly 1,500 persons of interest during the investigation of the double murder, including one of Insagna's friends, Lily Prudhomme. Her husband, Eric Copel, became a person of extreme interest during the investigation when he refused to give a DNA sample. Nearly a year after the crime, Copel turned himself in and confessed to the deaths of his wife's friends while giving no motive for his crime. Between that time, Copel and Prudhomme reconciled and got married in 2005. She had no idea her new husband was a murderer. At some point during the 11-month-long investigation, detectives turned their attention toward the DNA on some camel Turkish gold cigarette butts found outside the house. Since none of the roommates smoked, perhaps, perhaps they came from the attacker. Asked if the roommates knew any smokers means a casually named Copel, although she apparently didn't suspect him at the time. He had helped the women move into their apartment. He also attended Maserati's and Insagna's funerals. As mentioned, the latest breakthrough in forensic science allowed investigators to obtain special details from the DNA on the cigarettes. The smoker probably had blue or green eyes, light-colored hair, and w- was a Northwestern European ethnicity. So Copel was... Copel and Prudhomme were kind of in this break throughout their engagement. They had been... They got engaged. Things kind of went sour. Prudhomme broke up the engagement. And throughout this time, she was decided her and uh, Insagna were going to go on a, um, a ba- backpacking trip. Copel tied that Insagna was the reason that Prudhomme uh, wanted to end in, in the engagement and was done with them. And he had cases, he suffered from alcoholism. So one night he got drunk, let his anger take over the best of him, broke into their house, stabbed Insagna and Mazzara uh, multiple times, and then escaped. And then finally, after news of him being a suspect, almost nearly a year later, he finally turned himself in. Um, at his wedding, he even had, uh, I believe it was Insagna's mother. Yeah. Uh, Arlene Allen, the mother of Adrian Insagna, um, was at their wedding. Like, he invited the families Didn't of the women he killed. Did they officiate it? Yeah, I read one where that somewhere that, in uh, one of the reports, it was that she was officiating and blessed the marriage. Um, uh, he was sentenced... On January 12th, 2007, um, during the court uh, arraignment and everything, uh, Arlene Allen, Insagna's mother, told the court, my baby never wore a turtleneck sweater in her life, and yet she had to be buried in one. And still, if it could not hide the extent of her w- wounds. Also during the trial, Copel's uh, apology he gave out to the court was, I cannot fathom the experience 
explanation for my sinful deeds, the terrible agony inflicted upon a great number of people. My relationship with Lily was in jeopardy and crashing. It was like it fertilized the seed of anger in my heart. There was a rage inside me. If I'd only listened to those that pleaded with me to get help, get, they, if I'd only listened to those who pleaded with me to get the help I needed. So he was since a life without parole, and he's still in prison right now. Well, you know what? His actions completely took her away from him 100%. Yeah. yeah. And that's one thing with a few of these cases that it's like, they, they, some of the cases, they did it to keep somebody near them or to do something. And it's like, a lot of murders are, are that way. <laughs> like the mindset's just, it doesn't make sense to me. If you but kill those that are taking her away, she'll come back to me. I mean, in his, did, in his case, it kind of did. Yeah. They got back together, got married. My thing is, you have to be a cruel son of a bitch to, to invite the family of the people you killed that don't know who killed their daughter at this time, like they're still researching, to invite them, have one officiate your wedding. Like, you have to be a dark piece of shit to do that kind of thing. But then there's the part of me that thinks, well, maybe, I mean, I'm not going to defend him in any way. I mean, he's an asshole. But maybe there was guilt since it was something done under a drunken binge. Maybe there was some guilt and he was trying to make amends for it in some way. I don't know. I I think it's more I think it's more like Chad said he's just an asshole. But I could see that possibly being he's trying to make it up to the family somehow yeah. by trying to make them part of his family to make up for what he took from them. But I don't know. I'm just glad this guy finally let the guilt to get to him and he could, uh, <laughs> turned himself in. Yeah. Because yeah. at this rate, cause he was never in the DNA database. He never would get connected to the crimes until at some point when he got DNA taken and they opened the file again to look through it. Like, yeah. Yeah, he could have walked away scot-free if he hadn't mm-hmm. have confessed. At least, at least the guilt got to him. That's all I can say. Yeah. So, Eli... Yours is very dark, so we're going to go and with it next. it's close to Oklahoma. Okay. It's actually in Oklahoma. <laughs> it's like close we, to Oklahoma. Yeah. It was in Oklahoma. Say, so, do we have any dead dog advisories? We have a dead child advisory? Uh, the only thing that happened with the animal in the story, which I didn't actually write down, is that the person who committed the murders tried to, or didn't try to, but did poison the dog, but the dog didn't die. So, But there is dead baby alert. It, very young children. DBA. <coughs> DBA. D, yeah. The 1977 baby murder in Lawton, Oklahoma, still has locals wondering what happened to Nima. Although Lawton police officials eventually found the 19-month-old baby, no charges were ever filed in the disappearance and the murder case. In fact, no physical evidence, evidence aside from the baby's deceased body has turned up in 40 years. So a little bit of background story before I get further into this. Um, Nima Carter was a 19-month-old baby. Uh, and her, this is, this is the day that she actually disappeared. It was a Halloween night, 1977. Um, her parents were downstairs watching a movie and Nima was crying upstairs. Um, her parents, uh, decided to use the, uh, cry it out method and eventually she stopped crying. Um, they fell asleep on the couch in the morning when they woke up, uh, Nima was missing. Um, and then we're going to go from there. Um, there's a lot of circumstantial evidence about this horrible Halloween crime. 
though. In fact, the abduction of two other younger girls uh, weeks before pointed to a local babysitter as the most likely culprit. The Carter family home showed no signs of forced entry that Halloween night. The nursery window remained locked from the inside, as did the house front door. This seems to indicate that someone already had access and didn't need to break in. The Nima Carter cold case was never a result in conviction, especially because the prime suspect passed away in 2005. Instead, her grieving family remained left with an unsolved, mi- unsolved murder and a mountain of questions. A lie detector test exonerated Nima Carter's parents on the crime in 1977. So for babysitter was the killer. There are zero viable leads in the case that becomes less solvable with each passing day. Now, we are going to go into the actual um, murder weeks prior because it does tie into this. Uh, this one did not happen on Halloween, but it did happen the week prior to Halloween and uh, Nima's missing person. <clears throat> now, there was a murder that was involved that involved twins on, in the same town on a week prior to Nima's disappearance. The twins' names were Mary and Augustine. I won't say their last names due to the severity of the crime, uh, and they were children. Uh, their parents are still alive as well. Uh, their grandmother, uh, the legal guardian, was vacuuming in another room, and the girls were in another. And the girls were in another room. When the grandmother entered the room, the girls were gone. After weeks of searching for the girls, a boy playing in an abandoned house found them. They were both inside a fridge. Mary passed away from suffocation. Augustine was able to breathe through a crack in the fridge. Now, at this point, the girls were three. And when the officials asked uh, her who took her and her sister away, she promptly replied, Jackie. They didn't take her statement seriously, and it wasn't until three years later that Jackie would stand trial for the murder of Mary. Now, they said there was enough evidence to put the murder of Nima on Jackie. But if you look at the facts, or let's take a look at the main things these two families had in common. Jackie Ribido, which is the babysitter, Babysat for both the families. Also, Nina was Nima was excitated before she was put into the fridge, and that's what mostly like. Whenever I was reading this story, I, I kind of was like, "It's so hard." I understand law enforcement and how they think, but if this if this murder happened in 2010, that woman would have had both murders under her belt. Period. Mm-hmm. Like, period. Uh, the reason why, and like, I mean, I'm coming out here with like certain, um, uh, not ideas, but assumptions. But the reason why she had to asphyxiate Nima is because she was still. I mean, she would, she would have cried the whole. I mean, yeah. So, and the fact that the fridge, uh, a a fridge, and this is like 1977. These are fridges that only open from not this time, but these were abandoned buildings. Uh, ten years prior to them even this even happening, but the fridges had uh, sorry the buildings had fridges that only opened from the outside, so there was no getting out. I know there there's a few people that are like, well, why don't you just open up the fridge? There's no way for them to open it up from they the outside. They shut from the outside. Outside. Um, the second coincidence of the murder was that the use of a fridge to hide the murder, and also the fact that they were both found abad- in abandoned houses, uh, and then. I mean, it's kind of hard because, like, and like I said, like, whenever I was talking to you guys originally, this was probably, like, after I read this story and after I did 
uh, a little bit of research on it. I kind of had to stop myself and just stop reading so many of the de- details because of I and Jackie Rubido was 19 years old. Okay, she had babysat for multiple families in the town, and I don't know what snapped into her head because the the the, the um, disappearance of Nima. Years later, and she died in 2005, okay? So she died of um, liver cancer. Her dad, Nima's dad, is still alive. And he, he's, he has some of the biggest regrets because he was like, if I only would have checked the closet, because the closet was the only place that she could have hid. It wasn't upstairs. It was, it was, it was a, a single-floor house. And he goes, if I would have checked the, the closet, because there was no forced entry. There, the door, front door was locked. She didn't have a key to the house. Um. He remembers specifically that the door door was wide open and there was a screen or a screen door that separated the uh, like a screen door and a, uh, a regular house door. The uh, screen door was the only thing that was not open when he woke up. The other door was wide wide open, and he has so many regrets at the fact that he should have checked that 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 uh, deal. But the problem with this whole thing is is that after they found out uh, after the uh, three year old. Um, Augustine had said that Jackie did it. They never, ever, at that point, considered Jackie a prime suspect, nor did they ever even question her. It wasn't until a year and a half later that they started questioning her, and then she ended up turning herself in. Yeah. Um, and he goes, he goes, that's that's. And this is a statement from him. He basically said, if I would have known at any point throughout the 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 week that the, the murder was or the the children were found originally. I would have never, ever even allowed Jackie near my children. I would have taken every precaution um, that I could have to make sure. As far as people know, those are the only two murders that could have possibly, uh, not could have possibly, but she had done. Um, I'm completely convinced that Jackie did both of them um, in every way possible. I just don't, it kind of dumbfounds me. It's a situation where it could have been prevented. The the second one could have been prevented. and probably something just snapped in her head, and it had to be a psychological thing because I don't think anybody else thinks uh, it might have been a power cray type deal where I'm more powerful than these these small children. But it, it was super dark. Um, um, for instance, um, and this like like we said, this is super super on the dark end. But um, Mary wasn't found until a week later. Yeah. And throughout that time. Augustine, sorry, Augustine Mary. Augustine wasn't found alive until a week later, and the only reason why she was found is because she was screaming. Yeah. Mary passed away inside the fridge, and she had to live inside that fridge for a week while her sister decayed. Yeah, that's horrible. Fucking dark. And it kind of, I mean, it's kind of hard not to read this shit and either get super upset or cry because it's it's very real. And the fact that her father... Not her father, but their family in general have so many freaking regrets. And the fact that Nima never actually got justice. Yeah. No one ever pinned that murder on. Well, my thought is, why even ask her who took her if they're not going to investigate it? Like. And it wasn't even a situation where they're like, who took you? And she thought about it for three minutes. It was like immediately. Jackie. Jackie. Well, it's like the three-year-old who got lost in the woods and said, you know, a bear saved her or saved him. Well, that one, I could see kind of like, okay, child imagination. But they named, the, she named somebody. 
Like, at least look into it. <laughs> yeah, bring her in for questioning. Yeah. See what, if she squirms. What year did this happen? 1977. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And what was even more creepy about that, though, is that she wasn't even brought in until a year after yeah. all this shit happened. And the only reason why she was brought in is because they finally turned, like, put her as the prime suspect in the murders. And uh, they were finally like, hmm. Maybe we should go with that first name we got back a year ago. They should look into that. And Augustine, <laughs> Augustine, while she was on trial for the murder of Mary, uh, I think she was like 12, like when they finally actually got around. It ended in a mistrial, and then she was put on trial again, and that's whenever she was actually uh, charged. But Augustine got up there and remembered every fucking fact of that day. How would you not? Like it's gonna be one of the most tormenting days and you're like a week in your life. life. Yeah. She said she said that um because in that case, Jackie because Augustine said that in that case there she didn't physically harm them whatsoever. She literally said, We're gonna play hide and seek. You guys hide here and I'm gonna go hide. And she just left them there. But in the other case, she physically murdered the child and then put her in the, the bill. But she, she remember in uh, what's deep. It sounds like she was growing into being a serial killer. Yeah. You know how uh, every story of the serial killer, the first few attempts are botched. Mm-hmm. And I feel like she was working her way up and just kind of getting more comfortable with it. And I mean, since it was a year before she was caught again. Or before she was ever uh, prime spec, yeah. yeah or before uh, she ever turned yeah. herself in or anything, there's probably more out there. They yeah. Just, well, it almost sounds to me like a schizophrenic break, in like the sense that maybe she thought she was somebody was going to come and get the kids. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like there was someone else there. She was yeah. in her in her mind that she was playing with other people. And when I was growing up. My mother always warned me about playing in old refrigerators because apparently it was a pretty common thing around here at the time for children to get locked in them and suffocate. Hmm. So, I mean, I do wonder if there was a whole lot more she did. Yeah. Or if just that one story of it perpetuated into like like an urban legend of sorts. Yeah. That very well could be, too. Uh, A few more interesting facts, though, is there's a few more children. Even after Rubido got, uh, I wouldn't say incarcerated, but picked up and actually sat in jail, there's a few more cases where children went missing, but they were found. But every time they went missing, police would go to every abandoned house around Lawton and open up every single fridge. And I'm thinking to myself, well... If you're having to do that, wouldn't you just take all of the fuckers away just and throw them? The yeah. yeah, yeah. As I say, for our job and doing some of the abandoned houses that we go and work on, it makes me want to start checking the fridges when I go in there. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> no. I say I've been in some. I don't. I smell it, and I wouldn't open anything. So. Yeah. All right, we need a lighthearted story. We were We're doing true crime, Amy. There's no fucking thing, (laughs) such thing. My guy got pissed off. This is why Dave doesn't like to do it, damn it. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to do a little bit of a palate cleanser in between some of these. I've got a game here called Morbid Curiosity. And I know you're thinking, how is this going to be a palate cleanser? We're going to make it funny because 
That's some what we of, do. Some of these stories are pretty, it's pretty dark. So this first question here is for all of you. Um, come up with the worst slogan you can think of for a mortuary. You bring them, we'll stuff them. <laughs> uh, bet for, okay, so what was it again? The worst name, or worst slogan for a mortuary. They won't be walking out of here. Bob's, I hope they're dead. <laughs> Keep digging. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, what is the meaning of the word amen? A, all praise. B, the end. C, we are one voice. D, so be it. E, hear us. C. I know Dave knows this one, so. I'm going to go with C also. C? The answer is D. Damn. But D's nuts! So be it. Sorry. So be it. All right. We ready to move on? We want some more. One more. more. (laughs) Please. Donating your body's organs for transplant or to science is called A, organ recycling, B, the gift of life, C, organ sharing, or D, the anatomical gift? D. I honestly Body think. sharing? Organ recycling? It's C. No, it's, sorry, it's D, anatomical gift. All right, this will be the last one. We'll move on to the next story. What happened to the ashes of the man who designed the Pringles container? A, they were stored in a Pringles can. B, they were added to the ink label. They're the label ink, sorry. They were scattered throughout the Pringles factory. They are in the CEO's, CEO's office. Uh, Pringle can. They were put into a Pringle can? That's your choice? Mm-hmm. I'll go with the... Uh, they turned into ink. I know that the KISS comic book actually used blood from the members of KISS to mix in with the red ink. So I'm going to go with that he's part of the labeling. Actually, they were stored in a Pringles can. Gotcha. Actually, I already knew the answer to that one. If they were scattered throughout the Pringles factory, I would stop eating Pringles right now. I was going to be like... (laughs) They're the special ingredients. (laughs) But the sour cream and onion is so delicious. (laughs) Sour cream and dead body, yum! (laughs) These are so chalky. (laughs) The cheese is really cheesy. Since when did Pringles have teeth? (laughs) (laughs) Look, Mom, I got a Cracker Jack. (laughs) (laughs) Look, my Pringles can came with a gift or a prize. What the fuck is a fingernail doing in my Pringles can? (laughs) All right, so... I found a penis in my Pringles can. <laughs> <laughs> Comes out like like one of those. Why don't you pop? You pops? just can't stop. <laughs> Open up the Pringles. <laughs> <laughs> the fuck? <laughs> Damn. Oh, must have been one of the travel size ones. And this is how we make <laughs> morbid curiosity <laughs> funny. All right, Eli, what's your next one? I know you had two sad ones, so we're gonna we're gonna <sighs> throw you in the middle. Okay, here. so this is gonna be a short Once one. Once again, Amy. They're it is dead. true crime. <laughs> There's no happy endings. Well, if the murderer's caught, it's kind of a happy ending. In 2010, 16-year-old Devon Griffin came home on Halloween to play video games after attending church and spending the previous nights out. He noticed the Michigan home was too quiet, so he went to check on his family members, according to the Sandusky Registry. Griffin proceeded to find his stepfather in bed, covered in blood. 
When the police arrived, they found two more bodies, Griffin's mother and brother. Police eventually learned the murderer was Griffin's stepbrother, William B.J. Lisk. Now, this is where it gets pretty damn descriptive. Lisk bludgeoned his older stepbrother, Derek Griffin, with a hammer, shot his father, William Lisk, five times, and then raped and shot his stepmother, Susan Lisk. Lisk pleaded guilty to three counts of aggravated murder to avoid the death penalty, but was found dead in jail cell in 2015 from self-inflicted wounds. So I'm going to go into a little bit of this. What happened, he was found, and this is what's dumb. Not dumb. Weird. So his brother comes home, finds his, his, his stepdad murdered, calls the police, finds the two other bodies, Lisk, the gentleman who killed everybody, comes walking in with a bloody shirt. And since it's Halloween, he ripped up his shirt and put, well, obviously it was his family's blood, all over his shirt and said that uh, that was his, his Halloween costume. Okay, Years prior to this, he had been arrested for um, aggravated assault. He had been arrested for... Um, I think it was like rape of a minor or something like that. Uh, and then a few other things. And was um, diagnosed with schizophrenia. The reasoning behind him killing his family is that he said that his father had threatened to kill him the night before when his father hadn't even talked to him for the last like three and a half years. He said that uh, spirits were telling him to do um, evil things like burn down churches and stuff like that. Like, a lot of dark shit. Weeks prior to all this shit happening, though, he talked to his counselor, and his counselor completely brushed it off. Altogether, completely brushed it off. What year was this? This was in 2010, so this is years, uh, about a year prior to that. So by law, the counselor could be held accountable. By law, yes, but this didn't come out until years after he... Like, the uh, statement from the counselor, because it was pulled up, because obviously everything's documented, uh, it was pulled up because they were doing a deeper di- dive into... What, what happened when I looked at the files it, sh- it showed word for word I feel like doing harm to my family basically and she never warned the family she never said anything to anybody about it she just wrote it off because he had gone two years without an incident but once you're once you're psych- psychologically not sound anything is a threat yeah well I mean heck even if I went in tomorrow and not had a history of violence or anything like that and said, I'm thinking of killing everybody. It is the legal responsibility of the counselor at that point to then notify authorities. But don't schizophrenic people say off-the-wall stuff like that all the time? If you're known as a schizophrenic, that's even more of a reason to do it. Okay. Put them on a 48 or 72-hour hold or something like that and yeah. evaluate. I mean... I mean, keep in mind, like I had a, I had a friend here in Oklahoma uh, when I was younger... Uh, his his dad had sexually molested his sister, and his mom obviously won custody over it, but she was, like, trying to, like... I guess his mom was trying to, like, get in contact with the dad so she could beat the living shit out of him. And we had... The, he had to do, talk to DHS and stuff like that because they came and visited him at school. And the mom came in whenever that all that happened, all that was happening, and the principal asked, because they all went to church together, he was like, is there anything I can do for you? Is there anything I can do for your family? And she goes... Uh, you could probably watch my kids because tonight I'm going out hunting and basically said something about cutting his dick off and shoving it down his throat. Exact words. 
and they put her in the fucking mental hospital for two and a half weeks. Mm-hmm. Between a psychological break and an actual threat, whether it was a real threat or not, like those words mean something. Well, the thing is, though, if he did say this a year be- before he did all this, there's a chance they did have him putting it up for 24 hours or something like that. Because if he said he was going to do this a year before, it's possible they did do did like watch him. But yeah, technically it could be uh, technically you could put be put in as premeditated murder, correct? No, because I mean probably not because it wasn't premeditated. Is going to be how you're like you thinking about how you're going to do it ahead of time. Well, basically premeditated means that you know what you're doing is wrong, and so you're trying to cover it up. So that's that's where the plea of insanity comes into play. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right, Dave, you want to do yours? All right, I got a dead dog alert coming. Some people wear masks on Halloween, and some people wear masks all the time. I pieced together a timeline of events which happened on Halloween 2016 from 911 calls, police interviews, and court documents. Andrew Balser, who was one month shy of 18 years old, had been concocting a plan to kill her family. Maybe because she perceived they would be non-supportive of her gender identity crisis. Maybe it was because of physical and sexual abuse she claimed later during trial. Maybe it was a tone she heard in her head that was about 13 kilohertz and constant before, during, and after the murders. No definitive reason was ever given by Andrew as to why she snapped. It was all just a mix of several reasons. She was carrying all of this inside and not sharing it with family, friends, teachers, or school counselors. I'm struggling with calling Andrew she. Not because I'm non-supportive of transgender people, but because I am non-supportive of murderers. I mean, if Jeffrey Dahmer wanted me to refer to him as the Iron Chef, I wouldn't. Oh, my God. <laughs> I had to throw a little humor in that there. Was good, that was good. That was good. <laughs> Keep going. Keep going. All right. <clears throat> so in the early hours of Halloween night at approximately 1.30 a.m., Andrew went to the dining room of his residence in Winthrop, Maine, to retrieve a K-bar knife. For those that don't know what that is, it's a combat knife issued to Marines since 1942. The teenager then entered his parents, Alice and Antonio's room. Alice Balser awoke to see Andrew standing there over them. She got up and accompanied her withdrawn and distant son back to his room. While she was holding on to Andrew, hugging him, and either comforting him, or by Andrew's account, whispering highly sexualized statements into his ear, He plunged the knife down into her back, then stabbed her eight more times while she was screaming. Antonio Balser awoke to the screams of Alice. He retrieved a handgun to protect his family from what he might have thought was an intruder. He was ambushed by Andrew and stabbed 13 times. Lily, the family's chihuahua, was barking. Andrew pinned her down and stabbed her. In Andrew's words from a recording, quote, I did not plan to stab the dog. The dog was an unfortunate collateral damage. 
I had no intention of hurting any of the animals there. Andrew, with the K-bar knife in one hand and the father's handgun in the other, confronted his brother Christopher. Christopher had heard the screams and left his basement room to go upstairs. Andrew offered to kill Christopher, but he refused the offer and pled for his life. Andrew let him flee the home. Andrew then placed a call to 911 at 1.45 a.m. We won't play the call. You, you can find it if you want. He sounds pretty proud of himself and laughs about his actions during the call. Judge Eric Walker, who granted the state's position to have Balser treated as an adult, said in his ruling, quote, The only possible motive for the murders appears to be Andrew's perception that his parents were unwilling or unable to deal with his transgender issues. We will never know if Antonio or Alice Balser would have been accepting because they were ambushed and murdered by Andrew. Unquote. Christopher Balser has said his parents would have been supportive of his brother's gender identity issues. Christopher Balser also refuted all the abuse allegations made by his brother. In his victim impact statement, Christopher said the following, quote, I still hear our dearest mother's screams every night as I fall asleep. Every morning as I awaken, they echo in my head. Her screams as she was stabbed by the son she doted on so much. The son she only wanted the world for and would accept nothing less. I remember the foul things you accused her of and the looks of horror upon the family's faces as they heard about them. You are an inhuman creature, and the fact that you continue to pretend otherwise sickens me. Unquote. Alice's brother Carl Pierce, in a written victim impact statement, told the judge, quote, To believe our family is intolerant or unaccepting is to know nothing of us. Andrea's grandfather has funded her defense with what he had expected to use for her college education. Unfortunately, the most dangerous thing in that house was Andrea. There was no reason for Alice and Tony to die that night other than for Andrea's desire to kill them. To claim the murders of Alice, Tony, and the killing of Lily had anything to do with gender identity is an insult. It is an insult to our family. It is an insult to society. But most importantly, but most importantly, it is an insult to the members of the LGBTQ community whose lives actually are at risk because of their lifestyle beliefs. To justify these killings because of her identity beliefs is truly a cowardly act, one of which Andrea should be ashamed. Unquote. Andrew Balser eventually pled guilty and was sentenced as an adult to 40 years. Only 40 fucking years? He pled guilty. He's going to get anywhere from 25 to 55. His brother Christopher wanted the maximum sentence, but the judge fell around in the middle with about 40. Holy... F he was how, how a month away from being 18 where he could have done whatever the fuck he wanted to do. That's a fucking monster. That's not mm -hmm. even like... that. There's no gender identity crisis there. That's just a fucking monster. I agree. A month 
I've been saying, excuse the F word here. I'm dropping this F bomb on this one. A month away. I see why you said you weren't happy to dig into this one. No, not at all. This one's got me fucked up, and I didn't have to do the research. All right, palate cleanser, because fuck that one. I hope. Although it was very dark and disturbing. Good job on that, though. I I hope he gets the shit kicked out of him in prison, and I hope he. It's a. There's gonna be a lot more than the shit being kicked out of them. <sighs> Just putting that out there. <sighs> he's he's gonna come out a lot more fucked up than he went went in. All right, so that's his own downfall. So this one looks like, sorry. <laughs> this will be not edited out. But Amy was telling me about that. You said like you didn't like digging into this one and how it was hard. You're like, I wish. You and didn't me and Amy that. were like, man, I don't know. You know, I just I find this stuff fascinating. Now that I hear that, I'm like, no, I fucking understand. Like, just listening to it's got me depressed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the fact that he sounded proud about it. Yeah. yeah. Cocky yeah, fucking I, I, I listen to the calls, and I, oh God. I listen no, I to all the it. court stuff. And No. All right. Based uh. on what we know, what would happen to your body if you died on Mars? A, solar cremation. B, mummification. C, standard decomposition. Or D, gravita- gravitational decay. That was said really fast, but I'm going to go with A. I'm going to go with gravitational de- decay. Gravitational decay. B, mummification. Why? I don't know shit about Mars. I just know they have lower gravity than we do. So, Do you know why? Probably due to lack of water and the temperatures would be my assumption. God damn it, Dave. You're so goddamn smart. Like I said, with our knowledge of Mars, it's like, with our knowledge of Mars, I would have figured you would have suffocated. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, like, I have no already knowledge. already dead. Oh, I, <laughs> I have no knowledge. I'm of, thinking of the bug. Not the bug. I'm thinking of the bog mom. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> <laughs> the bog mom. I love the bog mom. <laughs> I'm thinking of the, the bog mommies who uh, are preserved in, in the bogs because of the high... Acidity, so there isn't any bacteria or anything. Well, when they would mummify corpses in Egypt, they would pour salt and stuff into the body to suck out all the water. I guess it would be the atmosphere around yeah. it. If there's no moisture in the atmosphere, your body would kind of just shrivel up, shrivel, no, yeah. like, like dehydrate kind of thing. No. I still kind of so find even it the the enzymes and the bacteria that are in you would just die as well. Yeah. yeah. I still kind of find it freaky how they used to take the brains out of the nose, man. <laughs> fucking super. Which two U.S. presidents died on the 4th of July in the same year? A. Washington and Jefferson. B. Adams and Adams. C. Grant and Hayes. Or D. Adams and Jefferson. I didn't. I, actually, I'm not even going to guess because I don't know, but I didn't know there was ever two presidents that died on the same day. And 4th of July at that. Um, I'm going to go with, was it Grant and Hayes? Okay, see? Jefferson and Adams. I'm wrong. Could've I'm going to go with Adams and Adams. That could have been the Adams family. It was D, Jefferson and Adams. Holy shit. And they died in 1826. How did they die, though? It doesn't tell me. Fuck. Oh. They were probably at the same place together and then like... Uh, there was like an Flavor accident or, or something <laughs> like that. Flavor Aid. <laughs> they were Jim Jones before Jim Jones. I wish it gave more reasons why. Now I feel like I got to look this stuff up. <laughs> In what year did the Grim Reaper 
first appear? 1218, 1620, 1847, or 1926? What am I fucking supposed to do? Just die and ask them myself? Like, (laughs) hey, (laughs) when did you start? What was your hire date? When did it appear in, like... You didn't, you didn't say that. That's you what the assumption appear. is. I don't know on. his hire date. I didn't hire his ass. <laughs> let me call his employer Hey, Eli, <laughs> let me kill you real quick and bring you back so you can ask the Grim Reaper uh, when, he got start, when he started. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, what were the... Just A, B, C, or D. F. <clears throat> For I don't fucking know. 12, 18, 16, 20, 18, 47, or 19, 26. 18-something. 1847? Yeah. I think the Grim Reaper's got to be new enough that it's... I think it might have something to do with the Victorian era. But I don't know if 1847 is too early for that. But I'm going to go with 1847. Eli, you have a guess? What was the question? C, 1847. Cool, I got it right. I just figured it had to be fairly new, but... On July 4th, 1926, two prominent presidents, Thomas Jefferson and John Adams, took their final breaths. Uh, Jefferson, sorry, Adams died at 90 from old age. Uh, Jefferson died of a cough. (coughs) (coughs) Literally all it says is a cough. All right. I I like newspapers from back then. They were just straight into the point. (laughs) No conjecture, no opinion. There's like Jefferson coughed and keeled over. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) He died of a cough. Well (laughs) Aunt Jemima died from taking a shit too hard. Pooped at her guts. Black shit. See they wouldn't have said all that shit. They would have said she died while giving or while giving birth. birth. (laughs) 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 She died. They, they probably would have left it at that. She died. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Last one, and we'll move on to the next story. In ancient Greece, if you were a redhead, it was believed that you would turn into what upon your death? Point star. A, a vampire. B, a hungry ghost. C, a zombie. D, a banshee. E, a succubus. Uh, I'm going to go with succubus. Ghost. I'm going to go with succubus. The answer is A, a vampire. I don't really. know. Yeah, I don't know anything in Greek mythology that I've ever read tied anything to vampires. Well, apparently, gingers were vampires. I mean, yeah, I've me- never read anything I, like that in Greek mythology. I, I love Greek mythology, and I've never heard vampires ever in Greek mythology. Weird. I've heard of the Gorgons. Fake news. <laughs> I know they talk about like they were like believers in like ghosts and afterlife stuff. So. Yeah, and the Banshee is is. Irish and Scottish. Do we want to? I'm going to tell a short story that's, I mean, it still involves murder, but it's not in depth. And I, I bet I make somebody chuckle with the story just because of the obscene reason behind his decision to murder his friend. <coughs> so in 2011 in Chicago, a 55 year old Liedel Peoples couldn't find his Halloween candy. He became so enraged that he plunged a knife into a woman multiple times. Maria Adams, 49, was taken to the hospital and she died the next day. Um, At some point during the incident, though, 
a plate was thrown at people's head, and he had a laceration above his eye. Um, that's pretty much the whole story. I tried to find out more on the case. No one lays a finger on my butterfinger. <laughs> Precisely. <laughs> I mean, I've never actually killed somebody over missing candy, but I can see how, you know, you really wanting that Snickers, and there's no fucking Snickers left, and you just snap. Break um, me off a piece of that Kit Kat it, bar. It sounds like something a mentally ill homeless person. Yeah. Yeah. But... I would say nine times out of ten, if the candy's missing in our house, it was probably me that ate it, because I kind of have a problem with candy. <laughs> I like candy. <laughs> I'm, I'm, like, I'm, sorry, I'm picturing like a family guy skit. <laughs> this is this is like, a, it's got to be so, like a co- comedic so, movie. So that I, I come in and I'm like, Amy, did you eat the candy? And then you pick up a plate and you're like, stop accusing me of shit. <laughs> you toss it at me. Yeah, it's kind of like, did he stab her because she ate his candy or did he stab her because she threw a plate at his head? I mean, we don't know the whole story here. Did you, hey, did you eat my candy? Never kiss me live, copper! <laughs> Throws the plate and starts running. He's like, what the fuck? Dumb bitch! <laughs> Any more details like That's sentencing? Or? No, no, I couldn't find anything else on it. So this might not even be true. <laughs> it, it might not be. Well, no, I found his mugshot, and I found, like, because I was trying to find out what happened in the case. And, I mean, I got this information from CBS News um, in Chicago. Fake news. And you can go to the Louisiana Penit- or prisoner's page or whatever, and like, his picture's there. And then underneath it, it said, should I hire Liddell Peoples? And then underneath that, it said... Yes, everybody deserves a second chance. And that's just literally don't his candy. the only information I could find on it. This shit would happen in Louisiana. This was in Chicago. So I thought you, said Louis- you said Louisiana. Oh, did right. I, oh, sorry. It was Chicago. So <laughs> it would happen in Chicago, too. <laughs> uh, there was a murder, uh, and just to show you how weird things can get in Louisiana Bayou, there was a murder of two uh, Bayou folk. I weren't going to call them that because they're, they're definitely Bayou folk. Think of Bev- Beverly Hillbillies. That's pretty much what they were, uh, but there there were about three three miles apart neighbors, and one of them killed the other one because one of them was hunting squirrels on his land, uh, and the guy stole the squirrels off a uh, cooker on the outside of his house, and he went over there and shot them, and I don't know how how the news got out because normally like in the Bayou area shit doesn't really like I mean if, especially if you're living off the land. Things don't really spread. Someone found out about it, and uh, he got arrested. And his reason was he was killing squirrels on my land. Damn. Yeah. Don't kill squirrels. Don't kill squirrels on your land or on other people's lands. I got a story of something that happened in Louisiana. Mm. Good segue. Yoshihiro Hitori was a Japanese exchange student living in Baton Rouge as part of the American Field Service Program. On Halloween night in 1992, Hattori and the young son of his host family went to a Halloween party for AFS students. Unfamiliar with the neighborhood uh, where the party was, the boys rang the doorbell of the wrong house. When they got no answer, they started walking back to their car. The owner of the home, Rodney Pierres, then opened the door armed with a 44 Magnum revolver. Hattori turned around and said, quote, we're here for the party, unquote, claiming he feared for his life and that the exchange student was, quote, unquote, scary. P. 
Pierre shot Hattori, killing him. Pierre's and his wife then went back into their house and waited 40 minutes for the police, who questioned him and let him go. Only when both the governor of Louisiana and the Japanese consulate got involved was Pierre's arrested, after which he was acquitted of manslaughter. Now, was he dressed up in costume? I don't have the you details of that. No. I, I could see I, if there was costume being scary, but it's fucking Halloween. Yeah. Well, the thing is, I'm he's fucking walking things. away from the house. Yeah. Like, it'd be different if you opened the door and he was standing at your front door. But, like, the fact that you went and got the gun, you waited for them to start walking away, then you opened the door, shot, then closed the door, and just went and waited for the police to show up. Like, yeah. This doesn't make sense to me. Like, now, I've got a story, kind of similar, I guess. That actually happened to us um, when you were little, Chad. You were probably oh, I remember this story. I would say you were maybe three or four, maybe. Um, it was Halloween night, and at midnight somebody came and knocked on our door. Well, we lived out in the middle of the country. We didn't get trick or treaters in the country, so you know, Dad automatically got his gun and looked to look outside, and there's two men standing on our porch in masks. And mom, my bedroom was right by the front door, and I had a window that opened out onto the porch. porch. So mom came and got me and took me into Chad's room. And then she went back into the, the my bedroom and was looking out the window. Her and dad were, and they were calling the police. And then the, when the police finally got there, the, kid, the, the guys had left, and they were a block over. And then a block, I mean, okay, we're in the country, so it's like a mile over. And when they saw the police, they threw something into the woods and took off running. Well, they threw a knife into the woods. See, we just never answered the door. Yeah. You know, and we just called the cops. But Jeez. it could have been horrific, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was probably around 93-ish. <clears throat> yeah. I remember being told that story multiple times. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and I just That's remember being trick. terrified. I said, that is a thing, people. If you have trick-or-treaters come to your house after 11 o'clock, don't answer the door. My lights get turned off at 9. If yeah. you come after 9, you're not getting candy at my house. Um, that's just kind of my rule because I've got kids. My kids go to bed. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want my doorbell <laughs> ringing. <laughs> I would say, yeah, don't don't answer the door. Pretty much like how most how I've always done it and how we do it as a family is like normally we have the screen door, of course, so we have the front door open and the screen door so we can see the people walk up to the door and everything. But, yeah, once we close that door, it doesn't get open the rest of the night. Yeah. Because you never know <clears throat> what's on the other side. Yeah. Speaking of never knowing what's on the other side of the door. Another good segue. <laughs> on Halloween night in 2008, convicted drug dealer Quentin Patrick of Sumter, South Carolina, heard a knock on his door. Assuming it was rival gang members and forgetting it was Halloween, he grabbed his fully automatic AK-47 and blasted at least 29 bullets through the front door at them. 11 of those bullets hit 12-year-old trick-or-treater TJ Derisaw, killing him. 
TJ's father and younger brother were also hit, but survived. Makes me want to be a little bit more cautious when I take the kids trick-or-treating. Now, we only well, go to houses go, that have yeah, lights have on. Lights on. Um, and and we're usually with packs of kids. Yeah. I mean, there's usually packs of them. and That way they can pray and spray. <laughs> <laughs> <God damn it. laughs> I'll just make sure our kids stand at the back of the pile. No. <laughs> so another one of ringing the doorbell, like a trick-or-treater, Los Angeles hairstylist Peter Fabiano was shot dead on Halloween night in 1957. When he opened his door to what he thought was a trick-or-treater, but was actually a grown-up in costume, the adult shot Fabiano in the chest with a 38 caliber in a brown paper bag before fleeing the scene. Several weeks later, Goldeen Pizer and Joan Rebell were arrested in what turned out to be a deftly plot crime of passion. Pizer was friends or in possibly in a relationship with Rebel. And Rebel was also apparently in love with Fabiano's wife, Betty. The two women conspired to get Peter out of the equation, and Rebel bought a gun for, for Pizer to shoot Peter with. The arrest kicked off a firestorm of lurid coverage as lebi- lesbians were seen as abnormal monsters with murderous urges during this time. As described... In a post from 2007 on the Los Angeles Times blog, The Daily Mirror, Rebel had dressed Pizer in blue jeans, a khaki jacket, red gloves, heavy makeup, and donned a Domino's mask. She then went to the door after Peter had gone to bed and rang the doorbell. When Peter went went downstairs, imagining a tardy trick-or-treater, It's a little late, isn't it? He said as he opened the door. No, Pizer replied shaking as she raised the brown paper bag she was holding and braced something inside with both hands. A shot rang out. The bag ruptured. Peter fell. Pizer ran back to the car. Rebel kissed her and whispered, Thank you, before speeding off. In later testimony, described by the Kingsport Times News, the women revealed that they had burned their clothes and returned the car to a friend they had borrowed it from. Forget you ever knew me, Rebel said to the Pizer before parting ways. The next day, realizing she still had the thirty-eight Smith & Wesson revolver from the night before, Pizer rented a locker at the department store in downtown L.A. She left the gun there. The Valley News reported that Bebby Fabiano found her husband with a bullet lodged between his heart, or below his heart. Judy Solomon, Betty's 15-year-old daughter from a previous marriage, called the police. Peter was rushed to a nearby hospital, but never woke up. Betty remained sedated for a few days before making herself available for questioning. Betty told police she heard two voices that night, one masculine and one like a man impersonating a woman. When the independent out of Long Beach pointed out that the shooting was reminiscent of a gang assassination, police wanted to know why Peter had been the target. Aside from a misdemeanor charge of bookmaking or working as a bookie in 1948, Peter was clean. There's only one person Betty could think of that might want to harm Peter. Drone Rebel, a family friend. Police picked Rebel up, but soon released her after due to lack of evidence. According to the Valley News, the murder weapon was found in a department store locker two weeks later. It was registered to a lab assistant at the Child's Hospital, Los Angeles, 42-year-old Goldine Pizer. Police arrested Pizer on November 12th. According to the Kingsport Times News, she confessed, claiming that Rebel had coerced her into shooting Peter. Rebel was soon arrested after. Both women hired lawyers, 
In December, police arranged a face-to-face meeting between Rebel and Pizer and their lawyers. She told me that Mr. Fabiano was a vile, evil man, a man who destroyed everything around him, said Pizer. She told me that he mistreated his wife and that he was dealing narcotics. She then, she then told police she'd bought the gun using money Rebel had given her and explained how they had driven by Fabiano's home week be, weeks before the murder so she'd recognize him. Rebel remained silent. Peter and Betty met in late 1940s. According to multiple articles in the Valley News Sun, Peter was an ex-Marine and Betty was a beautiful divorcee with two children. Based on a federal consensus data from 1950, we know they they married and lived in Kingston, New York, where Peter worked as a truck driver. In 1956, they moved to Los Angeles and opened two beauty shops. Peter hired Joan Rebel to work in one of his salons. Rebel was a 40-year-old freelance photographer who spent time taking writing classes at the University of Honolulu in the late 40s. Rebel soon became close to the couple, so close that when Peter and Betty's marriage hit some rough roads, Betty ended up moving in with Rebel. There's little detail to what transpired between the two women. The Los Angeles Times described that the women's relationship was was abnormal. That was about as close to the printing of the word homosexual as a major newspaper would come in the nineteen fifty seven in, in around nineteen fifty seven. Suffice to say, Peter was threatened. When Betty and Peter reconciled, it was on the condition that she cut off all contact with Rebel. Pizer and Rebel's trial was scheduled for in late December. The judge ordered three psychiatrists to examine the women. Pizer told told one of them, I had no motive personally. Whatever motive I had was to please Joan. I was easily influenced. I have been impressionable impressionable, and always trusting. After hearing Pizer's account of the murder, the psychiatrist wrote, the only thought she had was that she had saved her friend, Joan Rebel, from an evil person. At the trial, both women pleaded innocent. Pizer reasoned by insanity. Pizer wept as she recounted the night of the shooting in front of the jury. Reports say Rebel smiled as she was led out of the courtroom that day. The women were charged with first-degree murder, which was eventually reduced to second-degree murder after a plea deal. The judge sentenced them five years to life in prison. According to the L.A. Times, Pizer was eventually released and remained in the Los Angeles area. In 1971, she was made an officer of the Miracle Mile chapter of Professional Women's Club. Pizer died at the age of 83 in 1998. Rebel was presumably released at some point, though there is little trace after her after 1957. Betty went on to leave, live a full life, as far as we know, passing away at the age of 81 in 1999. This sounds like a story plot to, like, Orange is the New Black. Yeah, yeah it does. I got a palate cleanser, cleanser question. Okay. On an altar to the dead, what offering could be made to you to entice you to visit? How would you make your presence known? Kit Kat and a fart. Eli's would have been a cigarette. And a fart. <laughs> That's how he'd make his presence known. Yeah. I would get him a piece of plaster. <laughs> <laughs> For me. Nicotine and chocolate. Gas X. <laughs> hmm. What would be the offering that would entice you to visit, and <clears throat> what would you do to make your presence be known? A magic card. 
<laughs> I don't really play Magic really anymore. Um, Probably something related to Jurassic Park. <laughs> yeah, toy dinosaur. Yeah. Um, that or like a bat, a Batman souvenir. Okay. How would you? Make and I'd come down them? going, I am Batman. <laughs> they should be used condoms, correct? No, no, no. Okay. Mine would be the click clack math dice, and then I'd let them know by rolling a natural d twenty. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. See. It rolled a one. Oh, the ghost fell. <laughs> Mine would be hot tamales. And I'd make my presence known by throwing the hot tamales at people because I would be pissed off that I couldn't eat them. <laughs> <laughs> See, in my luck, if I was, if I, I was Dave's and they brought me dice, I'd roll one and then somehow fall through the floor as a ghost and be like, God damn it. <laughs> on to hell I go. I'm on my way. All right. What is your favorite cinematic death scene? Uh, we actually talked about this last week. Not in the podcast, but outside. Mine would be the lawyer's death in Jurassic Park. <laughs> where he gets eaten up off the toilet. Absolute favorite hor- murders or death scene in any movie. Cracks me up every time. <laughs> Mine would be... You guys remember the movie Buffy the Vampire Slayer? The actual movie? Mm-hmm. I remember the bit where they're in the... Um, the gym, and she stabs one of the vampires in the heart. It's like one of the main actors in the movie. Stabs in the heart, and it, he has such a theater, theatrical death. It's it's. He's like ooh ah ee oh. He stands back up, and goes uh, my heart uh e i o, and then falls back down. He <laughs> dies finally, but it literally goes on for like about a minute. <laughs> that was the, that was actually the exact scene that I was thinking of myself. I was like, "Oh, that's what is." I couldn't think what movie was from. Yeah, uh, I was like, "He just like, uh, 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 uh. And, and then, then he pauses for a second, and then he, uh, 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 uh. Oh, I've got another one too. <laughs> then then the the main vampire of the movie is like, "Wow, that's finally over." <laughs> Terminator Two Judgment Day, when they're lowering the. T-1000 down into the lava and at the very last second he gives the thumbs up. Ah. That's a good one. What was your other one? Uh, Princess Bride when he tricks um, the bald dude. I can't remember their names. Yeah. When he tricks him by switching the er, the poisons. The poison and stuff. Just the unconceivable. <laughs> 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 That's a good one. Yeah. I can't, okay. So now I got to think of something besides that one. Um, You're talking about the, uh, where he switches the, the crowns? The, the, the chalices. chalices. Oh, okay. But he's put poison in both of them. You should say old yeller. Oh, fuck. <laughs> I'm not that. So minted. <laughs> oh, you guys know the dog in To Kill a Mockingbird? Uh, <laughs> Bambi's mom. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, I just love, hate the movie. I Bambi. just love when Bambi's like, mom. Mom, it makes me laugh every time. <laughs> Lion King. <laughs> Dark. <laughs> Gosh, you guys are twisty. Um, Wait, which one of Lion King or Scar dies or Mufasa dies? Mufasa dies. <laughs> oh, that's Dad. Daddy. Oh, um, the spider in, in um, Charlotte's Web. <laughs> <laughs> now continue. <laughs> I'm thinking. Oh, she did I die a, with I a lot a of grace. one, too. The the daughter and ghost dad, you know, where she's like being all rebellious and like 
well, I'll just kill my, you know, and yeah, that one. Uh, the, but all the deaths that are in Ghost Dad, because then they all come back to life. <laughs> now, I will say, I got another one. This isn't one of my favorites. This is probably the darkest one that's made me cringe the most. In the movie Hereditary, <sighs> there is a scene where there's this young girl who's like, you think is going to be like the main character of the, sh- the movie, not trying to give too much away, who's got some learning disabilities. She's sticking her head out the window as the driver loses control and sideswipes a telephone pole. Oh. What was the movie that you and deca- that I, decapitates that I said her? The and it is. I have yeah. never cringed during like a horror movie. And that one still fucks with me. Like, I refuse to watch that movie because of that death scene. Okay, so there was a movie that I said the other day to you and that you had seen it and you're like, yeah, we should never fucking watch that. You should have never fucking watched that movie to begin with. I can't remember what it's called. It's a foreign film. Um, yeah. Where they Talk take, about it in... Where they take the guy hostage and they make him do yeah. all kinds of weird shit in that warehouse. Serbian yeah. film? Serbian film. Yeah. So there's one in there that really fucked with me, but at the same time it's kind of humorous. Uh... There's a he's fighting this dude or whatever and he has an erection because they gave him a bunch of pills to make him stand in attention and the guy has a, his eyeball sewn shut like a science socket sewn shut because he apparently lost the eye and the guy takes his dil- dilly dong and sticks his dilly dong through the guy's eye socket and kills him that way <laughs> probably that was the only humorous part of that whole movie everything else is dark but there's a bit of humor in that one all right yeah yeah. Which fictional character's death hit you the hardest? Dumbledore. Spider-Man. From Infinity Wars. Or Snape. Ooh. God, Snape was pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah. And then he's like, take my tear. And then when he watches that, I'm just like fucking dying inside. (laughs) Because he cared about him the whole time. (laughs) Sorry, Dave. Or Sirius Black. I mean, heck, almost any of the adult deaths on... Any of the deaths in Harry Potter, damn it, those were all pretty gut-riching. That one's tough. I just know that when Snape died, I had... Oh, another one. The Macaulay Culkin's character in My Girl. That The first movie I ever cried in was My Girl. Bridget Terabithia? I didn't cry in Bridget Terabithia. How did you not cry in Br- Bridge to Arithia? I didn't. But my girl, I bawled. Mine is when Artax drowns in the swamps of sadness and the never-ending story. Oh, yeah. Oh, you would bring that up. Oh. But I was like four or five years old <laughs> when I saw that. This is really hard. Maybe it's because I have no emotions. <laughs> no. It, it, um. hit, it hit me harder than Bambi's mom. I mean, yeah. I, I think the, the, the scene where Iron Man's well, I, I wasn't there. sad by any. I knew what was going to happen. I have an issue with movies. Well, like we get pumped I up can to see them. I, well, I know enough about them, or I can read enough into the story. And his brain, I know what's going to happen. This? Sorry, his brain works like this, so he's able to figure out every fucking thing that happens in the film. I do that a lot too. So I, I don't find. Um, Patch <laughs> Adams. Because I Good. Ro- Robin Good Williams one. is my all time favorite favorite all time favorite actor. Yeah, mainly because he reminds me of my dad for some reason. He reminds me of dad too. And when the, the when he dies in Patch Adams, I think is probably 
And it's not even that sad, but anytime Robin Williams' character dies, I get sad. Yeah. Uh, so maybe that. I don't. I don't know. Like I said, I don't really. I I think far enough into movies. I read far enough into movies. I kind of have an idea who's gonna die. Jack in Titanic. No. <laughs> he fucking deserves it. He should have pushed that bitch off. <laughs> um. The first one. I, let's see. Just going back to the first time I remember like being sad in a movie. Is Land Before Time when Littlefoot's mom dies? Yeah, I remember actually being sad at that. I don't. I don't think my brain comprehended that his mother died. Like, I never comprehended that. Yeah. Until I watched it as an adult, and I was like, "Holy shit, this is a dark scene." Yeah. But my brain, when I was little and I watched it, my brain never comprehended that that's what happened. I figured yeah. when they got to the land. That was his mother down there, you know, like. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. Like, see, really, the only thing, like I said, I, there's not a single character that gets me. I will say, just about any someone losing any parents. I know one because um, you talked about it last week. <laughs> the Brontosaurus in oh, Jurassic yeah. Park. That that's <laughs> yeah, that, that's it. Yeah, in Jurassic World, uh, Fallen Kingdom, the scene where they're escaping the island as the volcano explodes. And you see this brontosaurus run to the end of the dock, like, wait for me. <laughs> and then the fire engulfs it, and it hot, rears up, and you're just, And then Chad and falls died crying. I, I will not going to lie. I actually got teary-eyed in the theater watching <laughs> I got that. teary-eyed watching that scene, too. That was and pretty I, sad. One. It has n- n- no backstory <laughs> or anything. And I felt so bad with the Brontosaurus. horse. Thank you. I totally forgot about that one. <laughs> yeah, that that one that one gets me. All right, do we need another we need a clear palate cleanser <laughs> for that question? Um, if you were to inherit money, what one dream would you make come true? Being debt-free. <laughs> <laughs> debt-free in a bigger house. One dream. Mine would actually be going to Greece. Having money. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't get the question. I guess if you had one, if you have one dream that like fantasy that you wish you could make true by having a bunch of money, what would that one fantasy be? Mm. Going somewhere, buying something. I always dream of this really cool house that has a roller coaster inside of it. That'd be cool to That'd make. That'd be awesome. Happen. Yeah. Honestly, we'd be coming over here a lot more then. Oh, that fucking house from. I'm saying fuck a lot. Sorry, <laughs> mom. The house in a uh, blink check. Yeah. <laughs> He's got the yeah. water slide. It looks like a castle. Yeah. yeah. That was my dream house when I was a kid. Uh, honestly, it'd be traveling. Yeah. Like anywhere. Yeah. Like just my. I think my goal, if I ever had that much money, and I wouldn't say an unlimited amount of money, but if I had that much money, it would be. Traveling to places that I know normally I wouldn't be able to. Yeah, I want to change my answer to traveling. Okay. Especially I, I want to go back to Ireland. Yeah. See more than just the airport. Yeah. And the area around it. Mine <laughs> <I would, laughs> would be debt free. I would or, love, uh, like tra- going to Greece. Specifically Ireland. I would love to go and actually see some of like the older standing buildings and just stuff like that. Like the castles there and whatnot. I think that'd be really cool. That's like me with Greece. I want to see all the... Ancient architecture that's still yeah. up. That fascinates yeah. I think. Me. I think what would. I think what yours would actually be. To be honest with you, is to be able to actually fund yourself a way through college to be an archaeologist. An archaeologist. Yeah, that would be really cool. Yeah, 
Because like you talk about that a lot, and that would be one way for you to fund that and then venture out. Because at that point, you wouldn't need outside money to fund your yeah. ventures. That's true. It'd be really cool to Damn, hire a you. security <laughs> force and take you all to Babylon. So I could be like, you see this big pile of rubble here? This used to be a really cool building. <laughs> <laughs> Watch, take a chip. That's a souvenir. <laughs> no, a, a lot of it's still standing. It's remarkable. Yeah. Uh, I was there like 15 years ago. Yeah. Pretty amazing. All right, we'll move on to my last, my last story here. Now, this actually ties back to another missing persons case that we covered. Um, but And a theory that me and Amy have that we've become obsessed, obsessed with. with. All right. October 31st, 2002. Uh, 21-year-old college senior, Christopher Jenkins, had his friends over at his house for a little party. After this, his party, Chris and his girlfriend, Ashley Rice, and a few friends went out to a bar called Lone Tree Bar and Grill in downtown Minneapolis. The group arrived sometime between 10.30 and 11 and parked just south of the bar. Around midnight, Chris was seen by several employees being escorted out of the bar by security. The bouncer at the door reported to a private investigator that he was told by the head of security not to allow Chris back into the bar. The temperatures that night were 20 in the 20s, and Chris was dressed only in his Halloween costume, a Native American costume with nylon pants and a shirt, as well as slip-on shoes and then a headband with a red feather. Chris had left his coat, wallet, cell phone, and keys in the bar with his friends. This was the last time Chris was ever seen alive. The next day, Chris's parents were informed that Chris never made it home that night. And from their, house in Wisconsin, from their home in Wisconsin, they were able to call the Minneapolis Police Department and submit, a form, and submit the form for a missing person. But they were informed that because Chris was an adult, they wouldn't consider him missing for 72 hours. Not being enough of an effort for the family, who just knew something terrible had happened to their son. It was completely out of character for him to just disappear. He was about to finish his last year at the University of Minnesota with honors and was a goalie and co-captain for the university's lacrosse team. His mother Jan, father Steve, and sister Sarah headed to Minneapolis and organized with hundreds of friends and family to search the city. They did everything in their power to get the attention of the media and get the word out, get word out in the area that their son and brother were missing. On Monday, following the disappearance, a.k.a. the 72-hour mark, they contacted the MPD and were told they would be contacted by the officer who had, the assigned, had been assigned the case when he was available to start working on the case. Not enough for the family. They had hired a PI and a dog handler. The PI turned up some information that there had been a fight outside of the Times Square pizza just across the street from the bar that night. The dogs picked up on Chris's scent on the sidewalk in front of the Times Square pizza. The dogs then took them to a parking garage just north of the pizza place, and the dogs took them to the dog took him to an to a stall. The dog did this twice. They had the dog recreate it to make sure that it wasn't actually hit because it was a new his dog was actually new to uh, cadaver searching. Uh, the dog also hit on the bank of the Mississippi. The handler said that it could mean that he was at the bank or that his body was upriver somewhere. The PI, ta PI talked to a person working in the parking garage where the dog hit who remembered finding a red feather one night while cleaning up the garage. 
The PI, convinced that this was a homicide case, turned everything over to the MPD. After four months, on February 27th, 2003, a body was found stuck in some trees near the spillway of St. Anthony Falls Hydroelectric Lab. The body was visible from the Third Street Bridge, which had been searched multiple times. The body was that of Chris Jenkins. His body was found floating on its back with his hands crossed over his chest. His clothing, including the slip-on shoes, were all on him, and clenched in his left hand was a clump of hair. The MPD, having heard that Chris had received counseling after a breakup a few years back, decided that it must have been a suicide or possibly an accidental drowning. Case closed. His parents, not happy with this, based on all the evidence that their PI had turned up, um, met with uh, expert forensic pathologists and reviewed the autopsy photos. Chris, who was a lacrosse goalie, normally had bruises all over his body. Um, but the body showed no sign of any bruising, leaving his mother to believe that he had been alive for a few days before he was killed. Also, the pathologist stated that in a suicide or drowning cases, you find the body, body normally face down with its arms out to the side and missing shoes because usually there is a struggle. They, they're fighting so they're kicking and moving their arms um also or if they jump from a bridge the impact knocks the shoes off especially if they're slip-on shoes yeah Yeah. a hydrolysis hydrologist that studies the mississippi river did not believe that his body would have been unseen for four months in the river the dna results on the clump of hair determined that it was actually chris's hair his blood alcohol level was at a 0.07 in his deep tissue and a 0.12 in his heart, which was not above any legal, legal limit. wim- limits. GHB was found in his system. Which is what? It is a... It's often found in antidepressants. Um, if you've watched the um, smiley face colors, it's not actually a substance that's tested for very often. But in every single one of the cases that it was tested for, it is found in those and bodies. And it's found in a high enough dose. In a high enough dose, it makes you complacent. Yeah. It numbs you like you almost causes you not to be able to fight back, not move. Now, this information was enough that finally, after four police chiefs, they finally got the case changed from a, a suicide to a homicide, and the case was reopened. Now, it's still unsolved. Nobody's been arrested for the murder. There was an inmate who confessed to it, saying that he was there and his body was thrown off of a bridge um, after a robbery that basically he didn't... They didn't get anything from him, and so they were pissed off and they threw him off the bridge. But none of the evidence matched up to it. And also, this bridge was across the street from a Federal Reserve Bank, and this is after 9-11. So there are cameras all over the place. And cameras that face the bridge and the camera footage didn't show anybody on the bridge from 11 o'clock to 4 a.m. that night. Was the body decomposed at all? Yes. Okay. But it didn't show four months worth of decomposition. I say being in water, (coughs) yes, even though it's cold, it would have been slower. But being in water, he would have decomposed faster than if he would have been on land. Now, some other interesting information about this case that I've found. Um, 
Chris's girlfriend, Ashley, worked at the bar. Um, and that night, her Halloween costume, she was a cop in her costume. And she had actually borrowed her shirt from an MP, er, MPD officer, Mike Casey. Casey was also at the bar that night, although he was supposed to be pulling security at an event down the street. Some witnesses say that they saw Chris talking to Officer Casey, then saw Casey talking to the head of security just before Chris was escorted out. Um, it is also known that Casey and Ashley had been flirting heavily with each other that night, and Casey actually took Ashley home after the bar called in a meeting the next morning, and Casey took Ashley home from that, even though she had gone with her roommates to the meeting but she had claimed she didn't have a ride, and so he took her home. Also, after being questioned by the PI, employees were given a gag order by the owner of the bar that told them that they talked to anybody without the bar's attorney present, they would be fired. Also around this time, the story about Chris being escorted from the bar changed to him leaving on his own. So there are many interesting things about this case, and it, like I said, it's still open, it fits along the lines of the Brian Schaefer case that we talked about, which happened in 2006 in, um, I don't remember what town he was in. Um, but Here, I can look it up real quick. But it fits along the lines of his case. He left the party, you know, disappeared. Was found later in a body yeah. of water. Well, I guess Brian Schaefer was never found, but. Now, could Chris have fallen victim to the smiley face killers? Everything matches up with every other Smiley face case, except for there were never, there was never a smiley face found near the body. But then again, they don't know where the body was dropped. And a lot yeah. of times in the smiley face cases, the body, if the, there's smiley faces where the body was put into the water or where it was found, things like that. But we're also talking the body was found four months after. So, yeah. well, after, and it fits in with the smiley face killers and the fact that the body's found after the area's been searched. Yes, multiple times. In fact, um, both there's to the two bridges. Both bridges were searched by multiple teams, multiple times. Yeah, and and every smiley face killer, like the river or wherever the body of water the per, the body's been found in, has been searched multiple times. And then when they kind of give up on searching it, is when the body shows up. Yeah, I'm thinking though, because was was his body found? Uh, Close by a bar, the bar that he was. It was less than half a mile from the bar. Listen, which is exactly this, how all the smiley face murders. At this point, though, like, I mean, if people actually start believing that this is an actual probable situation, when somebody goes disappearing and disappeared, when somebody disappears from bar, I'd be putting up freaking deer cams, man. Like that's what I would be doing, to be honest with you. Well, on both sides of the river. Well, it seems to be that a lot of the. The officers that are investigating this now think that it's related to drug or drugs, but gang violence. And I was thinking about that the other day with the smiley face killers. It very well could be some kind of a national gang thing, like an initiation type setting where they this is the way the gang does this because it's multiple people in the same age range, usually normally the same background, the same backgrounds, and. This happens to them, and it happens in multiple, like across the Midwest. Because actually, when Michigan, Minnesota, Illinois, uh, Pittsburgh, or like Pennsylvania, within the year before this, 
there were four other cases of people that went missing from bars, young men who went missing, leaving parties and bars. See, to me, I don't see gang-related. If it's gang-related, I see them being some kind of torture, some kind of shotgun shot, some kind of stab wound. Yeah. I'm thinking, watching, there's a documentary on Hulu, The Smiley Face Killers. Suggest watching it if you're into true crime. Um, but uh, that's what got us got me into it. And when you heard told me about this story, I automatically went that way. But I'm leaning more towards like it's like a sex trafficking kind of thing. Yeah. Because it's always months later. Sometimes yeah. year, like you know a year later. Like it's never been like oh a couple of days later he found in the water. And it's I- been months, and it's okay they got their use out of it. Now they're going to kill him and throw him in the and water. And honestly, that's kind of what I feel too. And I kind of, that makes me hold out hope that ones that haven't been found may actually be, still be alive somewhere. Yeah. I mean, not that it's the best way to be alive, but maybe they are still alive. Like the Brian Schaefer case. And there's other bunch of other cases. Because of all those other cases, they never mentioned that those bodies were ever found. Yeah. Now, Chris's mother, Jan, wrote a book. Um, about her family's struggle for to find justice for Chris. Um, I actually started, I bought it, started reading it. I haven't finished reading it, but it's a really good book. And it's called uh, Footsteps of Courage. And I'll put a link to that on our, our book page on the website. Um, but she just talks about their struggle to get the Minneapolis police to even listen to them. She said at one point, an officer came into their um, staging area that they had set up in the hotel and told him that, you know, he's just gone on a trip. He'll be back later. And then he saw Ashley and he said, oh, I know you. And then he took Ashley into the other room and talked to Ashley in the other room for 20 minutes. Something that also makes another thing with silly Miley Fist Killers is everything seems to be done after the police have done their searches. Kind of av- They've kind of just done with it and writing it off of suicide mm-hmm. is when the bodies tend to show up. Yeah. Makes me think it has the people doing it, the group doing it, the person doing it. Has some ties to law enforcement. Yeah. Uh-huh. Which in this case, you have hints of some foul play with yeah, Ashley corruption. and her mm-hmm. new boy toy, the mm-hmm. cop, that, you know, supposedly was last seen talking to him and all this stuff. Makes me think that it's something related to law enforcement or a member of law enforcement who's kind of giving these, oh, hey. Okay, I'm going to I'm going to set them up for you to for you guys to get them here. Well, during the and search, the family started getting death threats. And they moved to an undisclosed location and then they would just travel back to the staging area so nobody knew where they were at. And one day they were going to do a press conference and the daughter's car was broken into at the hotel and Chris's cell phone was stolen from the car. And his that was when they went to go to the dogs. Chris's cell phone was stolen from the car, and his bag of clothing that they had for to get the dog to get mm-hmm. the scent had been gone through. Um, and they were also other cars that had been broken into in the parking lot, but it just seemed interesting that, that those were the things. Those were the things that would happen. Um, it seems more like an organization. It yeah. seems like yeah. a literal organization or organized situation where it's either involved sex tra- trafficking or whatever but if it's state by state and it's organized crime then it's it ha- like I'm not saying it has to include law enforcement but it, it does have to include some sort of corruption yeah yeah so. and I mean 
the smiley face killers is a really interesting idea and there's no proof on it that nobody's ever been caught nobody's ever confessed to it it's just and for those of you that don't understand we've talked about in a few episodes smiley face killers are the show is these uh, retired new york detectives homicide detectives and everything who have started connecting dots between all these disappearances uh, disappearances and kill it, or deaths that all relate to a young college male uh normally high grades or athletically gifted mm-hmm. who goes to a bar and then is never seen again and then shows up days months actually normally weeks or months later in a body of water but shows no sign of drowning normally has some kind of wounds or something like that on them um doesn't show any kind of, doesn't show the decomposition that should be happening um being in a body of water and they've all been ruled as Suicides. suicide or no undetermined yeah what and so their job is to try to get people get these police uh police departments to open them back up as homicide they can search and they have found that i can't remember how many cases they've said they've done i know they cover like 10 mm-hmm. on the show each one of them has a graffitied smiley face near the drop near the drop point of where the body is believed to be dropped or near where the body is found. Yeah. And uh Brian Schaefer was in Ohio. Columbus, Ohio. Which then fits in him being part of it as well. Yeah. So I mean I like I said, I'm still reading this book and I'm sure I'll find a little more information as I finish through this book. But I mean, I bought this book on Friday and I read like five chapters in an hour. Like, I was <laughs> like, I have to keep reading. Um, when she should have been working. Well, no, it was on my lunch break. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's my last case that I covered. But it did happen on Halloween. I, I find it most interesting on this one that he was found with his arms crossed across his yeah. body and he had a clump of his hair in his hand. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't see someone who's going to j- commit suicide. One, just leaving his hands crossed or on his chest when he's in the water. Yeah. Two, I mean, I guess I could see someone going crazy and pulling their hair out, but you think you when you jumped into the water, he would have let go. Yeah. I mean, this time this time of year up north like that, the water temperature's like just above freezing, probably. Yeah. yeah. Now they said that the Mississippi doesn't usually freeze until January. Yeah. Um. Which is which is one of the reasons why they didn't think that the body the decomposition matched Mm -hmm. because the body the river wouldn't have started freezing until January so he would have been floating down the river you know what I mean like he wouldn't have been frozen in the river and then just it thawed and then here he came oh no no also I mean like like I was saying earlier with it being I mean if it's twenty degrees outside I'm guessing that water temperatures just above freezing like Dave was saying. Mid thirties, forties, maybe. I'm not a hundred percent sure. Not that smart, but um, I mean, yes, it's going to slow down decomposition. But four months in a water, no matter what the temperature is, as long as it's not freezing above freezing, yeah. it's going to show a large. I would think a large amount of decay. What would be interesting to see is if there were any um, marks on his like neck and his hands because it looks like when we watched that documentary almost every one of them had, had some, some kind, kind of ligature, marks ligature mark that was never actually just fig- dis- figured out as being a ligature mark they just never really looked into it yeah 
All right. Do we need a palate cleanser after that one? Or you got something to say? Go ahead. I don't know. I was just saying, but the with the water temperature like that and the way the body was found, that's really weird that the arms would be crossed and then he's gripping something. Yeah. I mean, he was placed there. Mm-hmm. He didn't fall in. Yeah. Do we want palate cleanser? Or are we good? I think we're good. Okay. Eli, what's your next story? This one is about a former minister of a small Michigan church who uh, murdered his girlfriend's 24-year-old daughter. On Halloween night, 2012, John D. White entered Rebecca Gay's mobile home and murdered her. White struck her in the head with a mallet several times before tightening a large zip tie around her neck. He planned on having sex with the corpse after watching several necrophilia pornographic videos online, but he was unable to do so because he was too drunk. Gay's three-year-old son was home at the time of the murder, and White stayed with the boy afterward. He dressed the kid in his Halloween costume and delivered him to his father. White confessed to police about the murder, and he was arrested. Later, White accepted a plea deal for a second-degree murder and was sentenced to 56 years and three months in prison. Like, three months, really fucking whatever. (laughs) He committed suicide in prison just months after being convicted. The prison staff tried to revive him after he was found hanging in a cell, but they were unable to do so. Now, there's multiple factors about this situation that everybody could chime in on. Uh, How about this? How sadistic do you have to be to stay with the son? Now, don't get me wrong. Murder's bad, and especially the way this happened was bad, and I'm glad that he didn't kill the the kid because then it would have been even darker Mm -hmm. than it already was. But how sadistic do you have to be to sit with the child with the dead mother still in the home and then have the mind frame to dress the kid in his his Halloween costume and drop him off at his dad's. Like, how do you have a um, mindset for that? I think his dad came and picked him up from the house. But still, even at that, you've got the mindset to get him ready and... Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, That man, um, White, he was a minister of a church in... Deerfield Township. Wasn't he also on probation? I he was either on probation or parole. I think it was parole. For stabbing another woman. So this is one of those escalation things. Like, had he not have confessed and turned himself in, he would have been a uh Ted Bundy type. Yeah. Uh super fucked up in the head. Or even more so. BTK. Yeah. Stupor fucked up in the head. Because BTK was, what was he, guys? An asshole? No, he was affiliated with this church. Oh, yeah. That, that, that too. He was a family man. Yeah. So, these are murders on, on Halloween. Halloween. Yeah, he, he pretty much stored it at the head of his congregation as a man who had been rehabilitated and... He had been touched uh, by br- Jeebus. Yeah, brought brought to salvation and redemption by God himself. Kind of an Edwards Wayne Edwards situation. Now, I don't think he was a minister, but but he no. definitely got on the board with the... Um, I've been rehabilitated. Yeah, he wrote a whole book about that. What was the name the of it? The Metamorphosis of a Criminal. Yeah. I so want a copy of that book. That book runs for about $1,000 on Amazon because there's no... I mean... He, he printed it himself, yeah. and nobody's going to reprint that. Because uh, guess what? He wasn't rehabilitated. 
<laughs> no, he just escalated and got worse. Yep. That book is a thousand dollars. Yeah. How many copies are there? There's not many out there in circulation. Handful. Yeah, I want a copy of that really bad. All right, so we're gonna do some palate cleansers before we close out. True or false? There is memorial on the moon which commemorates astronauts and cosmonauts who died in the advance of space exploration. True. False. We never made it to the moon. (laughs) There is flat. Nothing is real. True. It was placed on the moon in 1971 and consists of a plaque and a sculpture titled Fallen Astronauts. I didn't see a video of it. It's not true. True or false. Due to health regulations, funeral homes are not permitted to rent caskets. True. (laughs) Um, I'm going to say false because I feel like they probably do rent caskets. I'm going to say false because it's probably like a trick question where it's not like, oh, the health board may in charge of this. <laughs> the fucking OSHA is. False. You can buy a cardboard box and place it inside a formal casket for viewings for funerals. This way, you save money but still look good. I 100% see people renting a casket. <laughs> Shit, Uncle Bob ain't worth that. How much is it just for a day? Okay, we'll do that. Yeah. Can we cut that down to six hours? Maybe? Can you just put them in there, nearly wheel them out just before the funeral and then take them away as soon as you do it? Man. So they just rent it for the showing? And yeah. Then, I mean, I mean, come on. Makes sense. Be like, Uncle Jimmy's going to be burned on Monday. Caskets are tens of thousands of dollars. For no so I mean, freaking mm-hmm. reason. It's something you bury. Yeah. All right. Would you live in a house where somebody had died of a natural death, taken their own life, or been murdered? Natural death. Yes, yes, and yes. I would choose murdered. I would choose natural death. I would take all three. Yep. I. I'm oh, I didn't know we could choose yeah. all. That's why I said yes, yes, and yes. Yeah. yeah. All the above. <laughs> I'd do them. The only reason why I say natural death is because I, I feel like I'm super sensitive to, to that, that, and I don't think I could handle it, to be honest with you. I think that I usually look for haunted houses <laughs> when I'm house searching. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Amy's like, one of those. She, she like drives around the neighborhoods and look at the first sale signs and hopes it says yes, it's haunted on the sign. There's a house down from the shop, the one that sold for like three hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars and it wasn't even finished. They quit working on it again, and I'm like, that house is freaking haunted. I know that's what happened because somebody had bought it and was fixing it up, and they sold it without it being finished. And there's another house people bought it. They were working on it daily, yeah, for like three months, <clears throat> and then. It's just stopped. It's still not finished. You know what we should do? We should hit up whoever is owns that house and just ask if we can do a... I wanted, I wanted to buy we, that house. And when I saw it was $400,000 and unfinished, I was like... Amy's no. like, you want to you move in? Well, it was just, it's, it's like four <laughs> stories. And like the top story has a, a kitchen and all that stuff in it. And the basement has a kitchen and stuff. And it's like, we could totally put three families in this house. <laughs> um, but anyway, back to the question. Um I don't think it's like American Horror Story season one, where wherever you die, that's where your afterlife is bound to. Yeah, so. exactly. Well, that, that being exactly. So just because somebody died in a house doesn't mean that house is haunted. And just because nobody died in that house doesn't mean that house isn't haunted. So you I know what I mean? in a haunted house that no one died in. So Yeah, so At least no one I, I, I would be indifferent to it. And if it knocks a few thousand dollars off the price, it's even more of a perk. <laughs> <laughs> I, that, I'd end up in the Amityville house is what my problem would be. In, in some states, they have to disclose that information to potential buyers. Oklahoma, you do. Some states, you have to disclose whether it's haunted or not. Really? Yeah. How well, do they even know? 
There's claims, I'm sure. Yeah, claims. Like the house in Guthrie on the trolley lane that they knew that the old lady had passed away in there, and the they had to claim or they had to state that the the gentleman who owned the brothel next door was killed in the house. Yep. Yeah. No, I understand the yeah. the deaths, but how are they going to know if it's haunted or not? If you experience hauntings and you've told anybody, or you've called anybody in, you have to report it in the the contract. All right, so Dave, why don't you go ahead and tell us your last story? Sometime in the early hours of Halloween 1981, Manhattan couple Ronald Sisman and Elizabeth Platzman were murdered in their Chelsea apartment. The couple was severely beaten before being shot in the head, execution style. The apartment was completely ransacked. New York police initially believed drug money to be the motive. But then the case took a bizarre turn. A prison informant claimed that one of his fellow inmates had predicted the crime weeks before it actually happened. That inmate was the son of Sam Killer, David Berkowitz. Berkowitz had long been rumored to be involved with a satanic cult that helped him with some of the murders. According to the informant, Berkowitz had told him that his cult was planning to enter a residence near Greenwich Village on Halloween to carry out a ritual murder. When Berkowitz was questioned, he claimed that Sisman had footage of one of the Son of Sam's shootings and was planning to hand it over to the authorities in exchange for dropping some drug charges. While no evidence was found to support Berkowitz's claims, he was right about the description of Sisman's apartment. The killings are still unsolved. That one's really creepy. That one would fit in a scary story episode, too. <laughs> Son but of that Sam is... That, his, everything about him is just creepy. It was one guy, wasn't it? <laughs> well... <coughs> believed to be. He claims that that was a cult. I purposely looked for anything that could be tied to Satanism or ritual or anything like that happened on Halloween, and this was the, absolutely the only thing I could find. Yeah. Because guess what? It's, it's an urban legend. Urban See, this is like what we had talked about a couple of them that were like in the middle, in like y'all's personal story that you guys just told uh, uh, 30 minutes ago. So this is, that's the exact reason why I won't live in a, a house in the country. Like, I understand that most people like those kinds of houses where there's like miles in between neighbors, but fuck that. <laughs> Seriously, because like knowing me, I'll be living alone in a house miles away from somebody nearest other person and it'll be a situation where it's the strangers yeah you know where home security systems aka including a gun and knowledge of how to use it you mean you don't shoot and a dog yeah yeah a dog is probably your best form of security lucy a a barking (gasps) dog (gasps) bam right in the door and then you get the stories that dave read in that one scary story where the dog there's a chihuahua though, wouldn't you? Exactly. No, 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 no. Kids. The dog, the the story for this booyal with the dog that was describing the man killing the oh mom and god. dad. Oh my <laughs> god, that was such a good story though. I can't believe y'all didn't even pick up on that. My, my, I actually slipped on my words, and instead of saying master bedroom or master bathroom, or whatever, I said the master's bedroom. 
<laughs> and you also didn't even catch it. Well, when I listened back to the episode, the whole time I was listening to it, I was like, oh, now I see it. Yeah. But yeah. So I hope you're good and freaked out for Halloween. But don't open the door after midnight. But also know that there's not more murders on Halloween than any other night of the year. In fact, you said the murder rate was down on Halloween night. Yeah. So I hope you're because to me, what is scarier than ghosts and stuff is people. So this type of stuff freaks me out a little bit more than ghost stories. Yeah. This is going to be the stuff that actually makes me when I get home to my apartment at night by myself, like thinking. This is going to make you go check those closets, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> no, I, 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 I make s- a habit of checking my closets. I did see a lot of stories of like pranks that go wrong and stuff where like people are setting up Halloween decorations and accidentally hang themselves or, you know, they get into an altercation over like uh, toilet papering or an egging. Yeah, there, was or a, there was one that was an egging that someone, these this group of individuals egged a car. He got out to confront them, and then they shot him. Yeah. I mean, there's actually a few egging incidents. Yeah. Uh, one was the guy was leaving and backed over a kid. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Th- that to me wasn't a murder. That was an accident. But, yeah, just always have your guard up, especially if you're out walking the streets. No matter where you live, you never really know what's going to happen. And when are people out walking the street most? Halloween night. Yeah. So, be careful next week when you go out trick or treating. Yeah, if you be got safe. kids, if you're going to a party, have a DD. Leave as a group, or yeah. at least with another person. Also, Uber. If you're a young ch- college male, Uber is a lot Midwest. cheaper than a uh, DUI. Yes. Put some glow sticks on you. Yeah. Carry a flashlight because because most of the accidents that happen on Halloween are people getting hit by cars. Yeah. Yep. Reflector belts are still a fashion statement. Yeah. So. Hope we've scared you enough with our horror murder stories here. And next week we'll come with some boo y'all. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna send you off for your Halloween night with some scary stories. Um, not as scary as these. <laughs> not if you if you are deep and depressed and sad now, just go ahead and get on Facebook and message us and join in our group, and we'll post some funny pictures and memes and stuff so we can lighten up the mood a little bit. Um, if you found any of our jokes inappropriate, I apologize. This was a really dark episode. We've been in dark places while researching these. And sometimes humor, humor is the best way to deal with that kind of stuff. Now, I could do a whole true crime podcast. I don't know if any of these guys would join me in a true crime podcast, but I love true crime. I would. but <laughs> I, I would as long as I don't got to research into it. And yeah. look at the autopsy files and read the victim statements. Yeah, I like I that feel like stuff. And weird. watch. I, I feel like you would be a really good, uh, like especially if we ended up doing more of these statistics. I can't even say that shit. <laughs> the, the statistics knowledge. and the Dave knowledge the, of it. Dave would be more the narrator. Yeah. While me and Amy would actually do more of the research. Yeah, like I feel I like that would that. work really well. Because that way, I mean, yeah, we, you, we still have to hear about it because... But at the same time, like we get the more scientific deal, you know, so they get it from all sides. So let's ask our listeners, listeners, if you enjoy true crime and you'd like to hear an unearthing paranormalcy twist on true crime, um, let us know. I would love to dig into this. I might even make that a separate podcast if we did that. But just let me know if you let us know if you would be interested in us doing some more true crime stuff 
even if it's just every once in a while we throw in a true crime kind of like with the missing persons um you can message us on instagram facebook and twitter uh at ump normalcy we've got umpnormalcy.com. you can send us a message on there also i'll put that book on there and we've got other books that we've talked about in other podcasts that you can are linked to our page um our patreon we'll get more content on our patreon but it's a patreon.com slash umpnormalcy. And until next time, keep digging.